Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Mean O-Line Media presents Business of the Beat. Hi, I'm Kendra Bracken Ferguson, and I am a founder, brand builder, entrepreneur, and believe in the mantra, Carpe Diem. I created this podcast, Business of the Beat, through my own experience as a beauty executive to talk about, tell stories, and highlight the business of beauty through conversations with beauty and wellness entrepreneurs, intrapreneurs, helping to diversify the industry. This week on Business of the Beat. Going into retail is half the battle. You have to every day pull through. Those units have to get pulled off the shelf at a steady pace that's going to keep up with expectation of that department. They measure how many units per store per week each brand sells. If you don't keep up with that unit per store per week ratio, what they need, you can lose your shelf space. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Kendra Bracken Ferguson, and welcome to Business of the Beat. Today's guest is Mahisha Dillinger, founder and CEO of Curls. But before we get started, don't forget to follow, rate, and subscribe to Business of the Beat on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You don't want to miss an episode, and we love to hear from you. All right, everyone. Mahisha is the founder and CEO of the renowned Curls. Her mantra is simple. Curly hair should be healthy, frizz-free, defined, and effortlessly fabulous. A beauty advocate and product innovator, Mahisha has worked passionately to create an award-winning line of organic hair care products that has stayed relevant for over 20 years and addressed a market previously unanswered by the beauty industry. As the epitome of a multi-hyphenate, Mahisha is a mother of four, wife, TV producer, author, product innovator, advocate for the curly hair community, and successful entrepreneur. Make sure to check out an episode of Mind Your Business with Mahisha on OWN, Oprah Winfrey's television network for expert advice on reaching the million-dollar mark as a woman-based business. Mahisha has also founded an MBA-style program, Black Women Making Millions Academy, that is set to help 25,000 businesses with over $450 million worth of free resources. Mahisha, welcome to Business of the Beat. I am just thrilled to have you on the show. I'm a fan. I'm a follower. I'm a supporter. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, there's so much to dive into. I mean, you're an inspiration. You're a legend. And before we get into all the things, we're going to start with two things, because I know that we are counting down to your birthday. April 2nd. (laughs) April 2nd is the party. My birthday is April 16th. Oh, fantastic. Because I was looking, I was like, she looks beautiful. I was inspired. I called my photographer. I sent her your link and I was like, I need to get ready. I'm April 25th. I was like, I'm behind. (laughs) Oh yeah. I did it because I hate taking photo shoots. So I had to do family together, birthday, 
all the things. I just hate taking pictures. So if you have me, you're going to get a whole bunch of seasons in one session. <laughs> well, that's, that's the way to do it. I mean, working moms, entrepreneurs, friends, everything. It's like we have to knock it out. And that photo shoot of your family, oh, my goodness, gorgeous, stunning. I mean, it all just, it was just beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so we're going to dive into all the things. So what is one word that you would like to embody for 2023? I've been dying to ask you because you do so much. So what's your word? Grace. I have been thinking so much about grace. I literally put in my out of office. I was like, please just give me grace. I'm doing the best I can. If you give me grace, I'll give myself grace. And then we'll have grace together. I think for me, grace is, when I say grace, I've been strong, 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 strong power through everything. So this year is about my year of giving myself grace just to regroup. Well, and it's hard because there's the passion piece of what we do. And it's like, we wouldn't be doing it. And, and I want to get into how long you've been doing it if there wasn't a true passion and love. And so sometimes with passion and love, we forget to, to slow down and take care of ourselves. So I, I, I completely understand. Agreed. A hundred percent. So we have this fun segment called Rapid Fire, right? So I'm excited to do this. So your TV show on OWN is called Mind Your Business with Mahisha. So your rapid fire is a little riff off of that called Mahisha's Mind. Okay. So <laughs> okay. So I'm going to make three statements and you just fill in the blanks and it's fun and it's rapid fire and we'll go. Okay. When Mahisha sets her mind to a goal, blank is the first thing she does. Gets into action. Ooh, I love that. Okay. We'll come back to that. Gets into action. If we ask your friends and family, they would say, Mahisha's mind is blank. <laughs> Always running. A hundred miles an hour. <laughs> and that makes sense. With her customers in mind, Mahisha and Curls always blinks. Delivers. And that is such an important characteristic. I think between getting into action and always running and making sure that we deliver, those are the key pieces. I think that's what kind of separates the longevity of founders with people who just want to jump in the game. So I absolutely love, love, love that. And I have one other question for you. When you were thinking about the show, what was kind of your thought process? Because as you went through your answers, I was like, it makes so much sense that there is a show, Mind Your Business with Mahisha. What was kind of your thinking and thought going into that? Um, definitely 110% helping women of color with businesses achieve success. Black female-based businesses are the largest and the fastest growing entrepreneur group. But we also have the most struggles. We have the most challenges getting funding and the most hurdles to get to success. While we're up 300%, growth, only 4% will make it to the million dollar mark. So that's a huge gap to bridge. And that was the whole goal of the, of the show was to show, help others, but then also have those examples be televised at home for others to also glean from. Well, and it is, it's so important because I think that that's, and, and the numbers are up, you know, we, we talked about 2% of women were at 4% and it's still so far to go. Yes. And so I love the ability to really talk about it because 
it is something that we have to strive to. And if it's if more business or if more businesses are created by black people, but our businesses are closing faster than others, then what have we really gained in terms of building generational wealth? And so I love the concept. So let's let's go back. Um, I jumped right in, but let's go back to who you are, your background, how you got started. Um, my entrepreneurial goal and bug really happened when I was in corporate America at Intel Corporation. I thought I was going to retire at Intel. I was super proud to be there. I thought, oh my God, this is the best thing since I spread. It's so hard to get in here. I have stock options, great salary, you know, just prestigious organization. And um, when I was, you know, targeted by a racist manager that was hell bent on getting rid of me, despite my performance, despite my desire to, my ambition, my motivation, all the things, I was targeted. So that was discouraging. My first time I actually experienced it firsthand. And that's what really propelled me into entrepreneurship because I saw that the writing was on the wall. He was going to get rid of me soon. But also I was a young mother who needed to had a steady income, I was stressed beyond belief because I knew at any moment he was going to let, let me go. That was the moment I said, okay, well, never do I want to let anyone have any control of my finances, my how far I go, what I do with my life, what success looks like to me. I didn't like that, that lack of control. And he, that manager that gave me that hard time, was the person that really birthed this flame in me, helped to birth the flame in me. So yeah, that's where it started at Intel Corporation. And I'm thankful for it now. Well, and I think that that's what it is because I think with every hardship struggle, it's basically what we make of it on the other side. And so it is interesting when you talk about like the lessons learned, like I don't want anyone to have that much control over me. My mom always says like, don't let anyone have so much control over you that it takes you out of your character. And that always stuck with me even in, in, my journey as an entrepreneur and some of my first relationships. And I was like, wow, this is a whole lot of control that I have to move away from. And so being able to navigate that. So you decided, okay, I'm getting out of this situation. You're not going to have that much control over me. And now I'm going to pivot into my own journey because whenever you started, it was a different time of I, I kind of entrepreneurialism being a founder is like so jazz hands and cool. And you've really been a pioneer in the space. So what was that transition like and how did you really move forward with the vision? Um, there was I didn't have a mentor to prepare me for what I was embarking on at the time. Obviously, I got a mentor later. I did not have a roadmap of what that looked like going to retail. I had a business plan, which was my roadmap, but the roadmap of what going into retail looks like, what to expect, how to negotiate. Those are things that I had to bring to the table through intuition, um, my education, grit, perseverance, street smarts, because you're not going to, you know, one thing about someone from the hood, you're not going to mess with their coins, okay? They're going to make sure that all the... <laughs> So, um, you know, I had to bring, I think the book smart to help me write the business plan, know how to negotiate, communicate effectively, how to pitch, plan, prepare. The street taught me how to leave money on the table, making sure that, you know, there is a level of respect that's expected and received because, you know, of who I am, you know, so I feel like I have the best of both worlds. Well, <laughs> it's so funny. I love how you say that because... It is 
taking what we know from the books. Like I talk about my MBA and I'm like, it was great to have. And there were things that I took from it, but the business world is changing so much. And I remember talking to the CEO of Brillstein when we started DBA and he was literally like, you girls are going to win in the streets. Like that's going to be how you do it. Like lean into that. And so I like this kind of balance of book smart mixed with street smart and then really kind of the drive to say, I'm going to learn. And you talk about mentorship and not necessarily having a mentor, but you have really made it your mission to be a mentor. I mean, when you think about your the MBA style program, Black Women Making Millions Academy, and so many women that you've mentored and the lives that you've changed, was that kind of always in your mind? Like, I want to make it easier. I want to provide mentorship. Talk about kind of the evolution and the start of the academy. Well, yeah. Well, after the show wrapped on OWN, you know, Mind Your Business with Mahisha, I got lots of requests for personal one-on-one mentorship. And of course, it's only one of me. So I couldn't mentor everyone. So I decided to bring the show, put it on steroids and blow it up and have it accessible to more women. And that's how the Academy Black Women Making Millions um, was formed. Um, what we have been doing is the purpose of it. And the reason why I'm doing this is because, listen, our other counterparts have built in systems in place. They have nepotism. They have the family funding. They have seed money available to them. We don't have the same access, the same information, same resources, the same tools. And that's the purpose of doing so is to try to, as much as I possibly can, level the playing field. I I was reading um, and have just talked to so many people and it is, it's so important. And I think that everything that we do, as you were talking, I was like, that's why I started Brain Trust Founder Studio. I was like, it's so much bigger than me. And my DMs are crazy. My text messages, like I can't even begin to do the one-on-ones, even if I love that and I want to, because they're still the whole companies that we have to run on the other side. And so when you think about kind of the impact and the legacy of that program, what are you really striving for? Is it, is it a number in terms of the million dollars? Is it what, what's really your intent at the end of the day? What do you want to see? Well, we have um, embarked on a goal of helping 25,000 businesses by the end of this year. So that's through the Academy, um, last year's efforts, this year's efforts. The first back in person event will be in August. So please go to Black Women Making Millions Academy on Instagram, click, follow, go. And it's a free program. So you, it's amazing. We have some amazing speakers lined up and, and conferences and workshops. So that's the goal. Um, we have to hit it out the ballpark because we want to make sure that we're impactful. The more money that we black women or black businesses bring to the table, the better off our community will be. So I think the onus is on us, those who have done it to show those that want to do it, how to get it done. Well, and I love that. And I am so about verifiable, tangible results. I think we've always had to work harder, be smarter, like go the extra mile. And even when we do all of that, while others can say, oh, I did this, or I believe this, or I feel this, it really is the numbers that kind of set us apart and setting those goals. And so it's really exciting to think about even coming back together, the fact that people have access to the resources, the mentorship from a free perspective, because as we're running our businesses, we're always putting back in. 
and then really just the impacts that you're making. So I love how you said it in, in air quotes for those of us that have made it. So let's talk about that journey to making it. Talk about curls, which I cannot wait. I had to like come with the curls. I was like, this is so exciting. I love the way this feels and smells. So talk about that journey of getting to make it with curls. Well, you know, that's a very open-ended question because I don't think any entrepreneur has ever, ever feels like I've made it. No, it's a path. It's a journey. It's something that never ends. So I think the growth has been going on the path, the trajectory of the brand. But, you know, to say you've made it, it's it's kind of like, okay, well, we're done. No, it's always something to do. But, you know, it's been um, a, a very great, it's been a a lot. I mean, one thing about entrepreneurship is not for the faint at heart. It's not for the weak at heart. It's for those who can fight through the worst rejection that you can experience, the most heartbreaks, potential setbacks that can set you up for success. But you have to be strong enough to get through mm-hmm. those setbacks, not set you back um, emotionally and mentally. Right. So it takes a special person. So the path has been a very fulfilling one, but a tough one. It's been a tough one because, you know, there's so much going as a pioneer that we had to lay the foundation for, you know, as one of the first brands. So, um, but definitely rewarding because I know I've given my children, I have three girls, one boy, the model of what hard work looks like and the model of you can do it if you try. And that's important, right? Now I'm I'm concerned they may be a little soft because they've gotten a lot more than I was given. But that's another conversation. <laughs> um, that's so funny. I was talking to another one of my mom friends and we were in the mom chat and that's what we were saying too. We were just like these kids, like everything at their fingertips, like you're in um, what someone's an equestrian. Someone's like, oh, we really fine first class. It's like crazy. And it was great because I know, um, I guess Chris Rock said it in his special. So it turned into a whole chat about our kids these days. And the moms were on fire. So it is. It's the gift of being able to give. I mean, that, that's what my mom's always said. It's the gift of being able to give your children more than what you had and new experiences and then kind of balancing <laughs> their, their expectations. <laughs> that was so funny. My kids were um, shopping for a birthday present. I have um, my oldest is 28. She works for the brand. And I have an 18-year-old, 17-year-old, and 12. And so we were talking about buying gifts for a family member. And Isabel was like, I don't have any money. And Bryce goes, just use your platinum Amex, Izzy. Mom pays. <laughs> I said, oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> your platinum Amex, Izzy. Mom pays for it. That is the best. Because, of course, why, what else would we think? <laughs> I was like, oh, God. What have I done? Well, and I love it. And, and it's so 28 and 12. I mean the experiences that they have. And we talk a lot about generational inheritance. And I love that your daughter works for the brand because being able to grow up and to see that hard work and the ownership. And even when you talk about the sense of control over your finances and being able to manage that. And so it, it's, it must just be such a rewarding experience to say, I have a built-in legacy. I am building generational inheritance. And it kind of goes down the line from 28 to 12. Yeah, well, you know, 28-year-old, she's gotten fired three times. But <laughs> the trap now, she's doing amazingly well. Like, she's phenomenal. So the 12-year-old wants to take it over. And she said she might let her brother move boxes. 
Maybe. But that's going to be her company. So yeah, they have, they have ideas and opinions. They're funny. Oh my gosh. I love that. Well, let's talk a bit more because it's interesting when she says she's going to take over because you have growth. And I like how you talk about like, we've never quite made it because we're always going to push ourselves. Like we can have everything that we set out our goal and we're going to add another goal. That's the nature of, of high performers. But talk about even the growth of the brands because you are in major retailers, Target, CVS, Walgreens, Rite Aid, Bed Bath & Body Works, Sally Beauty. You're, you're everywhere. Um, I know I got mine from Target. So talk about what that was like and the decision to go into to retail because you were there before the 15% pledge. So talk about that journey. Oh my, it was, that was probably the single most memorable part of my career because I have been pitching retailers since I launched online and a lot of no's, a thousand no's before I got to that one yes from Target where you shocked. Um, you know, Linda Sullivan, blonde hair, blue eyed buyer, for ethnic hair care, approached us, me and three other brands. She saw her relaxer sales were down quarter over quarter. And she was like, what's going on? She didn't know what was going on. You know, she wasn't a woman of color to know that women were going to natural and, you know, relaxing less. She didn't know that intrinsically because she's a white woman. So she started doing her research and found us, underground brands of three other brands that were underground at the time to do a, a test in Target, 105 stores on NCAP. I found the picture. There was NCAP with our pictures on top and our products. It was it was like, so I was super, super excited. I had the biggest cheese on my face. I was grinning from ear to ear. <laughs> and we had a task to show her if this was going to be sustainable. So 105 store test did phenomenally well. Went from all of us together, 300 doors to 600 stores to 900 to nationwide. And then along the way, other retailers that, said no, start to call me, the ones that said no before. And she built out the category. Linda Sullivan really did start this because she saw something. And after she was growing with us, she started adding more brands, more brands, and made it a destination. Target is that natural category is here because of Linda Sullivan. And all the other stores that have it copied the Target model. So I've always given her credit because I came in and pitched. I have never had in my entire life a pitch that easy. Five minutes in, I'll take it all. What? Wow. Never in my life has anything been that easy. Never. But I, I owe her a great deal of um, support and acknowledgement and gratitude because she gave us and she took her chance on us when everyone else didn't. You know, it's so interesting because we talk a lot about allies and the role of allies in trying to understand and trying to support. And I love this because... There was the business sense of sales are down, what do I do? But then there was the human sense of let me meet you and let me listen and learn. And five minutes in and really being the drivers of the category. I mean, that is so special. And to go to your point from we're in 105 doors, we're on 300 doors, we're in 600, we're, we're nationwide. Um, what advice can you give? We have so many listeners who are on their first journey of going into retail or saying, I was in an exclusive with this retailer, and now I want to go into a CVS or another. So what are just some tips and things to think about with retail? 
People want to go right to retail as soon as they launch a product. And that is not always the best business model for every product. It also is not one that you should take lightly, a decision that you should take lightly and run and leap into out the gate. You have to know, and this is one thing I want to make sure I clearly state, that going into retail is half the battle. You have to every day pull through. Those units have to get pulled off the shelf at a steady pace that's going to keep up with the expectation of that department. They measure how many units per store per week each brand sells. If you don't keep up with that unit per store per week ratio of what they need, you can lose your shelf space. And that doesn't mean, oh, bye-bye, okay, good job, nice to meet you. That's going to, one, negate the opportunity for you to ever come back, one. Number two, you have a, a massive bill because there's a fee to remove those things off every shelf. There's a fine. There are all the things that come with that that can cost you a shirt. So don't rush into it. Be ready to do it when you have enough demand built up in your brand, enough equity in your brand, enough um, consumer demand in your brand. So don't go straight from launch to retail. You know, and I, I love that feedback because, again, it's been so kind of the hot moment. Um, we're trying to fill shelf space. We're trying to do a quota. We want to put out a press release. And on the other side, brands are literally glamorized by coming in and not ready. And the long-term detriment of what that can do, you know, it's, it's very serious. And it, it can be the good of it, to your point, whenever you're selling your units by week and you're hitting your numbers. But then whenever you're not, and some of that is due to infrastructure and finance. And a lot of founders go into it not understanding the capital-intensive nature of staying in retail, the marketing within retail that they need, and really how to finance their businesses. And so talk about that world of funding finance from growing your business and then to what you need to further expand, in particular, marketing, retail, those channels. But what, what's been kind of your journey from a funding and finance perspective? I mean, like other women of color or people of color, getting funding for my business was next to impossible. Despite having exceptional personal credit, a strong business plan, I got rejected. So I, didn't, I don't have any experience fundraising because I was not successful. I had to start with my personal savings, which was a lot less, and launch on a smaller scale and grow it organically over time, which wasn't the worst thing because a lot of times we'll get into debt or get into bed with the wrong investor or get into debt and then the money spent quickly and then the business is gone. I had to be intentional with every single penny spent, of course, because it was coming out of the bottom line. So every I worked a regular job. I left Intel and I worked for Pfizer so I could actually have flexibility. That I just, you know, sell outside sales rep, selling legal drugs for Pfizer. And um, I was able to have a flexibility of working in the morning, get all my doctors seen by noon because I was on it. And then I would come home and work on curls. So every dollar made from curls and back into the business, reinvest it back. And I use my salary to, you know, for family. So that's what I did for about three years to grow it organically. Yeah. So it, it could be for those that are looking for funding. Um, it's easier now. I think definitely, I mean, it's cachet to be black. Everyone wants to have, say that they donated to some black organization or have that little token on their website. I mean, sorry to say, but that's a lot of times what the reality is. But there are other companies that really value us. You know, there are. I'm not putting everyone in a bucket, but um, it is a lot easier now to get funding. And I think that that is it. And I think now the question is, how long does it last? You know, I think about, our fund and some of the investments that, that we've made and our intentionality with the studio and the fund to invest in black founders. 
and the feedback that we get. And then also this thing that's kind of the unsaid of how long are, how long is this going to be cache and how long are, are the dollars going to be flowing, especially in a down market. And so really thinking about differentiated sources of capital. Um, and I love this quote, like learn how to negotiate. That's very important. They may give you a price on the table, but you don't have to take that first price. And you talk a lot about knowing your power and the value of your business. And I think that that's such an important lesson because we do get excited when people outside of us value us. But you have really applied that mindset into everything. And so when you think about valuing your brands, you mentioned equity earlier. What advice you kind of give to founders to even understand value, equity, understanding your worth? Well, regarding value and equity, um, well, understanding your worth is one thing, but understanding um, how to value your brand, your company. I, I always suggest getting a, having a, uh, some sort of uh, counsel and that can help you because one thing that the investors, if you have, you're lucky enough to land a meeting, um, they will present you with a lower, they're not going to come in with their highest. So it's up to you to know what the parameters are and what is a good deal for you. And if you don't know EBITDA, what that means and how people value, how or, you know um, investors look at EBITDA and what that means and the importance of it and what the multiplier is of an EBITDA to make sure you get the right number, who knows that? You need someone that's going to guide you to do that, right? So am I at the right level? Do I have the right multiplier? Am I, how strong is my EBITDA? I mean, that's not something you used to remember. I was taught in business school. I don't remember. Well, actually, I was. Yeah, in accounting. But I don't remember that. I don't remember that. I didn't think think about that later. So getting counsel and not going in alone is important because you want to make sure you don't leave any money on the table. Because better believe that that first offer is not the best. Well, and absolutely. And I, I think it makes sense. As you said that, I started thinking, I was like, did I learn about EBITDA? And it really wasn't until... Being, I think you learn about it, but once you're faced with it in terms of valuation and investment and really understanding how to navigate in the day-to-day, I think that that's when it becomes clear. And that's exactly what you said. There's book smart and there's street smart. There's the applied knowledge that you get as you are growing in business. And that's kind of what we also have to make sure that we, that we lean on and that we understand. Um, and then the worth piece of it. Because there's the worth of the business, then there's the worth of self, and even how you started with grace. And so we can, as founders, we get so beat up in this, and the highs are the highs, the lows are the lows. So what has really been, when things are not going well, what's been that piece that you hold on to where you are like, I'm valuable, I'm worthy, my company's worthy, I am worthy as a founder, and a mom, an entrepreneur? The peace comes from knowing that I get a lot of peace and joy and satisfaction from the fact that I have changed my children's lives. So that gives me comfort because that was my whole goal. I was a young single mother and I gave birth at 21 to the one that my oldest daughter, 28. And that was my entire goal was to push through every obstacle and to get to and through success to change her life. So her life and her, my offspring, my the future generations will be better off. And so I, that makes me happy. I've achieved that goal. Yes. And parenthood, and I know it's not necessarily for everyone. Um, it's such a joy. It's such a responsibility. I just, I see it as just like the greatest blessing. And to your point, you're like, I've accomplished that goal. I've done that. And at the end of the day, like that is such a special 
piece of what we're doing. And it just, it, it feels like it just makes it all worth it. Absolutely. It does. It's all, that's the reason it's my why for sure. Always. Well, and what have your kids taught you other than telling one that they're going to run the boxes and they're running the company? Like what are some things that your kids have, have taught you over these years, especially you mentioned being 21 when you started? Biggest thing is patience. Um, well, but the, the 28 year old and the 12 year old, they are like, I birthed the same child twice. So the patience I need to have for the 28 year old is the same I have to have for the 12 year old. And so it's, they are spicy. I call my spicy K's, Kiana and Kennedy. So they teach me uh, patience. They teach me, um, oh God, and they will negotiate and badger you down to you say, yes, Jesus. They will badger you. <laughs> this so, you know, they are great negotiators. <laughs> they taught me how to negotiate because they will negotiate to the nth degree. I learned a lot. And the two in the middle, I've learned the importance. Those are my quiet ones. My, they're more introverted. The last, the first and last are social butterflies, two middle introverts, more reserved. The importance of quiet time and being quiet and, and, and relishing that quiet, just different personalities and appreciating other ways of thinking. Like my seven-year-old Isabella, she's like, why are you so extra? Like I'm in bright orange. She's like, no, that's too bright. I don't like it. <laughs> look like a lot you know and I'm like well you look plain and we and she's like you're too much don't come to my school dressed like that so <laughs> it's not like this because I'm this is very much after the gym but like she thinks I'm extra and I I go wow that's interesting because she is so not and I look at her and go she's such a natural you know no makeup she's gorgeous naturally but she's so opposite and I appreciate her difference Oh, I love that. Appreciate her difference. Oh my gosh. I have one. And as you're talking, I'm like, Hmm, I want to have a few more and see how, that, how that goes. But it is, it's, and it's the lessons that we learn from our kids. I love that. There's so many different, it's four of them. So I see a different piece of me in all of them. Wow. It's like, my mom's like, be careful who you have children by. Those genes are strong as we all know, but it is fun to see the difference with them and even understanding the lessons that you're able to learn from them. I think that that's, you know, it is, it goes back to what makes it all worth it. So it's, it's the lessons that you give them, the lessons that you take from them, and then being able to see the different pieces of life and then how they're going to grow and take what we've taught them, but really kind of have their, their own path. So Mahisha, when, when you think about the growth of the brands, which we've talked about the show, the Academy, the goals that you've completed with your children, what's next? What's on the horizon? And I have to say for you personally, because as much as we are our brands, we're also our own person. And then for the brand itself. So for Mahisha personally, Mahisha 5.0, cause I'm entering my 50th year, I'm focusing on more self-care, definitely taking more mental health time. I took so many years of hustling and grinding and build a brand. And now I feel like it's time, that's why I say grace, to give myself some peace and quiet and grace and time to just enjoy the fruits of my labor. So that's what's coming personally, you know, really more balance, you know, more Zen. My life has never, I have not had Zen, I don't know how long, can't even tell you. I have Zen when I go to Turks and Caicos every quarter, but that's not <laughs> thing, like the whole, my whole lifestyle has to shift because it's time to, you know, put that strong. You know that I saw a meme 
I said, I, Lord, I don't want to be strong anymore. I want, I'm, I'm, I want to be in my soft season. I'm done being strong. Okay, so that's kind of where I am. I'm like, I want to just enjoy life now. That's personally. So for the brand, we're expanding into different categories, different spaces, different um, opportunities in the, in the beauty world. Wherever a curly girl needs, we plan to produce and deliver for her. Stay tuned for those items because there's so much R&D happening for 24 and 25 and 26. So definitely going to expand the brand, the brand's offerings. Well, and I, I love that because you, you've been in business and you understand your customer. You have the different retail sources. And so being able to expand, um, it's really, it's the mark of truth and growth. And then I think too, you know, the soft life that you mentioned and being able to take time because we pride ourselves in like the hustle and the grind and how do we take time? And so one follow-up to that, when you think about the way you've built your team, because so many founders are like, I want to have a little bit of time, but I'm doing everything. And so what has that journey been to now have a team where you can even say, I'm going to focus on my own self-care? Like, what are the, what's the infrastructure that you've had to put in place to be at a point where now you feel comfortable doing that? Well, yeah, the team, like you said, the right team matters um, beyond just being able to step back and have a moment, the team that you bring on to represent your brand can make or break you. So forget being able to step away from the brand, just to have the right people representing the brand, working for the brand, executing strategies and all the things. Um, it's super important. So, you know, connecting with the right people, that's always, you know, personnel, human personnel, that that's your biggest asset for a company. And so cultivating the right people, finding the right people, all those things are, you know, the I think one of the toughest things you can do. It's not the creation of the product. It's really finding the right people. So yeah, that's, that's a big piece of success is definitely having the right team. That's what I always say. I, I When people ask what's the hardest part, I'm like, there's the work is the work is the work. Um, so much of it is the people, the people management, the human nature of people, the human resources piece and, and really trust. You know, I, I said early on when I was naming my company Brain Trust that I want to work with smart people. And there's a lot of smart people in the world. But how do we trust those people to really show up within our vision and bring their own to the table? Mm -hmm. um, but that level of commitment. So it really is the biggest piece and, and the biggest asset. And something that I think we're all trying to build our teams and our brain trust around. <laughs> Absolutely. So I just, I, I thank you for this. I thank you for all that you're doing. Um, was, as we think about closing... I do have a question for you in terms of the global nature and scale of the brand. How do you think about other markets? What's been your experience? What does that look like for the brand? Well, great question, actually. Um, we have a lot of global expansion happening because, you know, there are curly girls, natural women all over um, that look like us. And, and we've always been in different countries, but now we're going global on a bigger scale. Yes, I know. I was so excited. I was like, you've been there. And I'm like, as you grow in scale, the, the opportunity, I think just with the diversification of people and hair types and textures, and it's so exciting to look at the global landscape and the impact that you can have um, with the products, with you, and then the, the notion of mentorship. Um, so Mahisha, we always ask, we're all about community here. So we are all about sharing and shedding a light on other products. So as we love curls and highlight curls, is there another brand that you would love to shout out that we should also go in and check out? 
Well, I love um, love, love, love. And my kids are like, mom, okay, we get it. My girls, rosehip oil. It oh, is, yes. You love it too? Oh my God, it's everything. Okay, I had a massive accident um, in December. That rosehip oil is just so healing, but it actually helps with not just pure oil, rosehip oil pure, helps with acne, helps with smoothing and refining the texture. It naturally moisturizes and absorbs into the skin. It helps with scarring hyperpigmentation, all the things. Oh, it is everything. I, if I can bathe in it, I would. I, that's that's my go-to. I love that. And, and it's so funny because as you were talking, I was like, that's right. It does all of these wonderful things. It's kind of like the magic ingredient. So rosehip oil, thank you so much for that. So Mahisha, this has been just such a great conversation. Like I said, I have been a fan, a follower I love the work that you're doing with the Academy. I clearly love the brand. Thank you. We'll be celebrating and wishing you a happy birthday. Um, I hope to see you in August, but before August. But just thank you so much for sharing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate you having me. And every week I share an influencer I'm checking out. And thanks to Mahisha, we have three all centered around the magical ingredient of rose hip oil. So make sure to follow I herb that's I H E R B I herb at skin muse that's S K N M U S E at skin muse and at the ordinary at T A G O R D I N A R Y. So Rosehip oil, make sure that you follow at I herb at skin muse and at the ordinary. And as always, I love to leave you with one thing from each guest. And today, thanks to Mahisha, that is, how will you have control over your finances? Mahisha talked about that was the pivotal moment when she knew she had to leave corporate America. She wanted to have control over her finances. So how will you find and build your own control? And with that, Follow, rate, and subscribe to Business of the Beat on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You don't want to miss an episode, and we love to hear from you. Leave a five-star rating and a review. Until next week. Business of the Beat is hosted by Kendra Bracken-Ferguson, assistant producer Jenny Salk, executive producer Kendra Bracken-Ferguson, edited by Fishmar Creative, executive producer Ken Johnson. Find the Business of the Beat podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Odyssey, Amazon Music, or where you get your podcast, And on IG at Business of the Beat. Business of the Beat is a mean old line media production. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.